The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your host is Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is Thomas Rosenberg. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Envision Radio. This is a show about regenerative communities, and I'm your host, Thomas Rosenberg. Part of the reason I launched this radio show is because I believe that now is the time for us to have conversations that are long overdue about equity, structural racism, and how different groups experience their everyday lives. These conversations are essential for a regenerative community, for organizations, teams, and even amongst strangers. To accomplish this, we need prompts and safe spaces where people can share openly and honestly. This radical openness sparks meaningful connections, builds trust, and engenders inclusion, which makes collaboration possible. Today, I am joined by Rachel Rosen, who focuses on creating these safe spaces. Rachel is a seasoned facilitator, leadership coach, racial justice, and LGBTQ advocate, and the founder of Spark for Humanity and Spark Leadership. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Hey, Thomas. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So let's just jump right in. And, you know, you started Spark for Humanity with a, with a card game. So could you describe the card game and why you started with that? Yeah, no problem. So I am an educator in my heart. I taught in schools for over 10 years. So I was a teacher, school leader, and um, worked for an educational nonprofit coaching leaders in schools. And so my practice and my, um, my kind of fun, fundamental foundational um, mindset is that if we're engaged in learning experiences and having to have human-to-human interaction that is meaningful, then we learn something, right? I was a Spanish teacher and I taught entrepreneurship and all of these things. And so my whole life I've been on a mission to find and be a part of spaces that are both inclusive and, and allow for people to feel a sense of belonging and also to feel a sense of liberation and freedom to be their full self, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so if you fast forward to a little over a year and a half ago, last um, the summer of 2016, there was a pivotal moment in the discourse in our country. And um, just like a lot of entrepreneurs and people that I've um, been inspired by or people who have impacted me, that moment when you say enough is enough or you're so frustrated by a particular experience is when some creative burst of idea comes to you, right? And that's really what happened to me in June of 2016. It was a combination of um, really doing my own exploration of my racial identity as a white woman relative to what was going on in the world because 
there was a rise in um, social media coverage of police brutality against African-American men in our country. And I was very, very troubled by um, what was going on in the world and the ways in which people over social media were blaming, accusing, pointing fingers, and um, not having as much... um, opportunity to connect and really listen to each other. Um, And it was a unique perspective for me because I'm in an interracial same-sex relationship. And so my partner and I were having conversations about what was going on in the world every night and really struck by the difference of um, what we were seeing on social media and what we were hearing in real face-to-face conversations. Um, So I started asking people questions like, what, what is it about social media that you feel kind of liberated to share your thoughts and and feelings about what's going on in the world, um, but not so much about um, feeling comfortable having face-to-face conversations. And the responses, as you can imagine, were were wide and vast, you know, everything from people having, um, you know, a a fear of saying the wrong thing in person, a um, discomfort having, quote-unquote, hard conversations, um, there was every every end of the spectrum, and, and I think um, what that kind of sparked my partner and I to, to read together a book called Waking Up White, <laughs> um, because we were noticing that there was a lot of, um, yeah, just variety around people exploring racial identity, and we, were, we didn't have a lot of examples at the time, and we wanted to have a different type of discourse, and we wanted to um, have face-to-face conversations and perhaps even facilitate face-to-face conversations about what it was like to be us during those times, you know. Um, that, that very same week, there was also the Orlando tragedy where there was a shooting and a, a domestic act of terrorism, and we were both very troubled and, and disturbed by what happened there. And similarly, we just found this striking difference between what people were posting on social media and actually having kind of the gumption or the the wherewithal to to actually engage in face-to-face conversations about what was going on. It was it was hard to get beyond small talk. So I thought, okay, well, what if, um, and we happen to at the same time be having a lot of social, you know, like we had friends' birthday parties and family outings, and, and it just felt like this isn't business as usual. There's something happening in the world. There's a lot of crisis and trauma that is being uncovered. So how, what would it look like to facilitate an experience that was liberating and healing and also um, cathartic, allowing people across difference, specifically across racial difference, across sexual identity, to, to listen to each other and to practice building and flexing the muscle of, of gaining empathy for people who don't share your experience? Um, so I got some index cards and I put some ideas on, on cards after we had been at a, a birthday party playing apples to apples and people were playing cards against humanity. So I thought, okay, well, there are these other card games out there that facilitate a different experience indirectly um, getting people to talk to each other about perhaps what matters to them. But what if there was a game that really facilitated a, a direct kind of experience to really um, spark conversations and connections for humanity? So that was... Uh, a kind of iterative, long journey to get me to that place where I, I created in a game on some index cards and started asking my friends and family to to give me feedback on what they um, what their experience was. So, so how so you started off with how many cards then? 
started off with, um, let's see, so it must have been, I started with the red card. So I came up with this idea of, of fire as the metaphor because I thought of, I listed off all the experiences that um, evoke a, um, a community and transformative experience um, across whatever culture, right? And for, from the beginning of the time, all of our ancestors have gone to fires to either connect, share stories, or um, witness transformation before their eyes. So I thought, okay, well, fire is going to be the metaphor. Um, let me start with some questions because I am a trained facilitator and leadership coach around racial equity. I have a, a toolkit of just prompts and questions that I offer my clients and, and communities to get um, to kind of have a catalytic reflection, right? So I just started jotting down all the ones that I use on a regular basis, and all all of a sudden I had must have had more than twenty index cards, and I went from the index cards to a spreadsheet, and I just color coded the spreadsheet and thought, okay, well, let me just list off as many you know conversation sparkers that I can over here on the left side, and then let me list as many what I wanted to be the fuel of the conversation. So if the red's the spark, then the orange would be the thing that actually gets begins to burn when the um, spark is actually lit. And so then the fuel is the orange cards. And I just immediately, I, I guess my partner was laughing because she was like, this is the way your brain works. This is exactly, this game is designed for you because you operate <laughs> in visuals and you operate with... Um, uh, kind of a, an intuitive sense of getting people to connect and share stories with metaphors and quotes and stuff like that. So it just came very freely. I think I looked down, we were watching a documentary and we were actually on vacation and, and I looked down and I said, oh my gosh, Leah, I've, I have 222 orange cards already brainstormed. And she just laughed. And, and then next <laughs> thing you know, we um, found, I went to, I went upgraded from the index card and went to the copy store um, down the street in Oakland and copied my first set of cards and um, with my graphic design, Josiah Gonzalez's help. And um, we printed the first deck and had the first prototype party. And I made a commitment to my community to host a prototype gathering every single month until um, I passed the Kickstarter campaign, which um, ultimately ended up happening. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So we will... Okay, so when did you have the Kickstarter campaign? I put the Kickstarter up last summer. Um, it was, yeah, it was right when we got back from vacation. I It must have been July. I guess Kickstarter mm-hmm. campaigns last two or three months. So the cutoff, I remember we just had our anniversary. I got a, a you know, reminder email from Kickstarter that said on September 3rd, your Kickstarter was passed. And so um, that's when I found out that we raised over $4,000 for this mission and for this movement. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how many more, have you gone through more than one prototype? How many prototypes have you had thus far? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the beautiful thing about this whole experience is I, I mean, it really started with a question and a statement. My, my question was, has this really not been thought of? Has this really not been created before? And then my statement was, if it hasn't, I guess, I need to try it, you know, um, and that was coupled with feeling that gut feeling that um, there just had to be more, you know, that people really crave 
having an invitation to have deeper, more meaningful conversations. Most people, when I ask them or when I share that I really hate small talk, most people are like, oh, me too. Can we just talk about something other than the weather, you know, um, especially <laughs> with what's going on in the world. And so, right. um, so yeah, it just, it really, that's how it kind of began. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what I, does, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I realized I, I lost train of thought. The, the number of prototypes that we've done since then, we went from the copy shop to a printing distributor locally. And then um, a friend of mine who's the key content developer and um, my partner in crime, Justice Casaneda, who's been instrumental in helping with the development of the content side, he is in Madison, Wisconsin, and he just happened to be down the street from a company called Game Crafters who offered to print and have a customized um, kind of order that we needed at the time. We're on the official, we just sold out of our version 2 deck that's been printed, manufactured, and distributed by a, by a company in Madison, um, and we're in the process of, of revamping for version 3 to be printed, produced, and shipped. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and when is that going to be coming out? That'll be coming out next month in October. Yeah, we're going to have a big release as we are... Um, Every month when we get feedback from every Spark experience, we've hosted at least one Spark gathering um, every month since I came up with the idea. That was a commitment that I made. And um, after each gathering, we ask for people's feedback on what would you, I call them the three W's, wows, wonders, and what if. <laughs> and so I ask people, what was a wow? You know, what was something that you learned or an insight that you had? What's a wondering that you have about what um, what could be possible if we had this, or I wonder if you tried this or that. And so, and then the what ifs are like, what if you thought outside the box and, and created another, um, a different color or a different kind of box. And so literally, because I haven't been attached to anything but the mission and, and the values and the vision of this, it has evolved and transformed before my very eyes because of the people who are a part of the community. Like it is a very much of a community driven Product And so um, this next version, we're in the process of finalizing the feedback that we've gotten from hundreds of people, um, and we're taking that feedback and, and in a bit of a rebrand moment to really respond to the um, to the ideas and the um, wonderful insights that have emerged from our community. That's awesome. So what does SPARK stand for? Yeah, so... It's great. So this, um, probably about after I hosted my second really big event, it was in Austin, Texas, where this gentleman who does leadership coaching and consulting came up to me afterward and he said, this is magical. What do you, what's the secret sauce? You know, how do you, there are these, there's a game and then there's these special agreements create this safe structure and then you, um, and Leah, who was my co-facilitator for the event at the time, um, he said, you two are just such a dynamic duo. What's the sauce? Like, what does Spark really stand for? And I thought, huh, well, it was originally just a Spark. Like, I thought Spark Conversation, Spark Connection, but I thought, let me think of an acronym that that actually really lifts up what the agreements and what the special structure is all about. And so I was able to, um, at the, it must have been December of 2016, I came up with the acronym that um, the S stands for show up authentically. So the invitation, this whole game is about showing up. 
and staying at the table. So the S is show up authentically, um, be yourself and share your story. And then P stands for pause, listen with fearlessness and curiosity. So the pause is all about listening um, beyond what you hear, but with your heart, what you what you listen to beneath the words that people share. Um, so much of this game is really to, to again, like, support us all to flex these muscles of being fully present with each other. Um, The A stands for ask, don't assume. So um, asking questions rather than making assumptions about what someone else's experience is is a really critical aspect of of just being um, a conscious citizen these days, right? And so asking rather than being certain about someone else's experience. Um, The game really invites that curious mind. And the R stands for respect diversity. And so that's a really, really pivotal part of the game is um, the the root word of respect is to, do you know the the, the root word of the the word respect? Have we talked about this? Uh, I think you mentioned it once before in a previous conversation, but go ahead and explain it uh, once again. Okay, so the, it's good. the root word, when we, when we look at, um, I get really into language and, and etymology of words because I was a language teacher, um, but respect really in, in the origin of the word means to see, spect is to see, and then re is again and again. And so um, imagine what would be possible if, if we could really see each other um, and be seen for who we are regardless of our skin color or our first language or the type of body we have or the gender that we have or the sexual identity that we have. Um, Really lifting up diversity is an important part of the game. And then finally, K, which is my favorite, kindly expect tension. So expect a little messiness. Um, Be kind to yourself when discomfort comes up because the structure is different. Because all of my experiences are a little bit different, I like to normalize um, discomfort <laughs> because that's uh, part of being an adaptive leader. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. We have to take a short break. We will continue our conversation with Rachel Rosen from Spark for Humanity and Spark Leadership. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at Regenerate.coach. That's Regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. If you're just joining us, we are here with Rachel Rosen from Spark for Humanity and Spark Leadership. We were talking about the importance of this work in the moment, actually, and where Spark for Humanity originated and and Rachel's journey uh, to developing now the third the third in version of the of the deck. So Rachel, I wanted to ask you, what is the target audience for Spark for Humanity? Could this be? used with kids or, you know, what's the age range? What, who's the target audience? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, as I originally created it, I thought it would be a great social deck for families and communities who cared about um, having a social impact and issues of social justice and racial justice. And so my original deck was was huge and it was um, multifaceted with different phases of um, kind of intensity and depth of conversation that you could take the, the, the conversation to, right? But um, what I realized was that social audience at the at the time um because it was still early and we hadn't even experienced um the new president or any of that that has emerged because of number 45 um I have uh, now, the one that ultimately got published was more of a team building deck. So it had 165 cards in it and it's perfect for an hour type of gathering. Um, And it was originally designed to work for anybody older than about 10 because um, my family members, that was the lowest age of my family members and it still (laughs) worked (laughs) for a family gathering. So it was meant to be versatile, to be honest. You know, the decks up, up until very recently the the deck that i created could be used for social gatherings it could be used for team builders at um at work for conversations about inclusion and diversity and it could also be used for um community organizing events for people who really are at a transition point and they want to intentionally hear from their staff about their story, you know, and, and better, um, kind of carve out time for that type of discourse and, and intentional deliberate dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, what's emerged, like I I was saying earlier, excuse me, is that because of everybody's feedback, we're now at this, at the, on the brink of actually delineating three target markets so that there's going to be a deck for, social gatherings around social and um, racial justice. There's going to be a deck for organizational team building that has specific questions about team dynamic because that's my specialty. Um, I I have a master's in organizational development and leadership studies. And so my, my passion and what I really geek out on is bringing a team together and allowing the right conditions to um, impact them in positive and transformative ways. Right? So the team building deck 
for organizations will be coming out. And then I'm also, because my passion is also education, will be coming out with a youth deck for educational uses. So um, I really want to support educators and school leaders um, and to continue to foster conversations about inclusion and diversity in the classrooms, because now more than ever, we um, teachers need to be equipped with tools and resources in ways that I have never seen before because of the times that we're in. Mm. So you, you mentioned earlier, you, very briefly, the concept of adaptive leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, what I'm hearing from what you just described is that there, at least for teachers and perhaps even in, in the organizational deck as well, that there is a need for intentionality and how somebody is sculpting a conversation amongst team members or in a classroom. And Mm -hmm. so could you speak to why you feel adaptive leadership and intentionality is so important and how it is central to the spark approach? Yeah, no, definitely. So um, just to give a little bit of context for your listeners, what what emerged as I hosted and facilitated all of these spark gatherings were people coming to me afterward at, with questions, you know, um, similar to the one that I shared earlier about, you know, what's your secret sauce for for creating this and getting people to to go so deep so fast. Um, there really is a secret sauce and it's it's grounded in a lot of theory and research and framework. And I will be forever grateful for the organization that I had the opportunity to work with and I still work for in, in, um, in Oakland, the National Equity Project, who does amazing work in the education arena around designing and facilitating experiences for equity in the classroom. Um, and so supporting leaders to reimagine what it means to create conditions. So in so many ways, I just, I will always be forever grateful to that community of people who are still my mentors and who have supported my leadership, learning, growth, and development over the years. Um, But because of the Spark and because of the Spark movement, um, folks who were coming to my events weren't necessarily in education. And they were like, huh, you know, I've heard of the National Equity Project and I love that you're so supportive of them. But if I'm not in education, what what could I do to continue working and um, building my consciousness and, and building my chops, if you will, or flexing, kind of getting new um, muscles around what it really means to be an inclusive leader. And, I, and so I put together this, um, I'm, I'm, if you can't tell, I'm like a solution seeker, you know, if people come to me with a problem and if I feel a challenge, then the teacher in me just feels called to want to figure it out and offer something. And so I said, Hey, well, you know what, I'll put together a resource for you. Um, because there were folks after the any spark event who said, Hey, I want to go facilitate my own spark brunch, or I want to go, I'm going to buy five spark decks and I'm going to take it to my church. And I want to facilitate a conversation. Can you help me? What does it really, what does it really mean to be a spark leader? And so all these questions from brilliant people who have attended my events have got me really thinking, okay, what is, um, what are the leadership competencies? What are the leadership qualities that, um, a spark leader, has or somebody who is um, resonant with this approach um, has. And so the work that's really informed my development has been work that names 
that being a leader is not being perfect. (laughs) Being a leader is to be one with the people and to really listen and to collaborate and learn alongside your community, um, to get off the the ivory tower and to be down on the grounds and to learn from the changes that emerge. And so adaptive leadership is an approach and there's a whole love, all sorts of people out there who have developed amazing frameworks around adaptive leadership. And that's been one that's been very resonant to me. Um, Similarly, the work of William Bridges and his work on managing through transitions has always been compelling to me because all the leaders I support are navigating very complex systems and they are always being faced with challenges that are unexpected or that the, you know, there's a Schools are a perfect example, but the more that I've worked with folks outside of education in this past year, the more that I learn about there's a common thread here where people are really desperate and and craving more tools, more um, resources for recalibrating their expectations. Because if you don't have a master's in leadership and you don't have experience or exposure to other leaders who are leading in this adaptive way that actually honors that um, being in control does not mean that you, just because you have the position of authority doesn't mean that you can change people's behaviors, you know? People have to choose to learn and, and grow. And so being an adaptive leader is really that. It's it's um, all about being clear about, uh, being clear on your vision and your values and your mission, and then aligning your strategies and your systems and your interventions and your, the way that your actions really, you know, how you speak and how you show up for your people accordingly, um, with a, with a, with room to adapt really to, to learn and grow. And so, um, taking and soliciting feedback is a very critical part of what I have done with Spark and what I support my leaders to do in a coaching capacity now. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg, but does that help give a better sense of what I mean when I say adaptive leadership? I think so, yeah. So that's very helpful. Yeah. I, one thing that you, you did mention that I would like to explore a little bit more is one, you mentioned earlier, being a language teacher and, and getting excited about etymology, but also just how one speaks. And so what there's there's something there about the how language is used, both as a bridge and how it can also be potentially used uh, uh, with... I guess with, with some danger, not as a weapon per se, as an unconscious weapon, I guess is, you know, so there's, I'm just wondering what could, could you share a little bit more about how language and environment have influenced your leadership journey and how you bring what, how that incorporates into spark and how you're moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yes, I've always been fascinated with language and code switching and different cultural differences as a language teacher um, in my earlier years in education. But the more that I did work as a leader, I realized how much um, 
not just what I said, but how I said my message, um, the body language, the tone, all of that impacts people's experience. And I'll never forget the first time my coach asked me, I had a leadership coach and he said, how do you want your team to experience you when you share this message? Mm. And I thought, huh? Yeah. I'm I'm moving so fast. I've got so many things on my to-do list. The last thing I was trained to think about was how other people experience me, you know, and it was really striking for me that 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 caused a little bit of pause for me. And so then I thought, well, you know, I want to be experienced as someone with warmth and um, understanding and kindness and compassion, but also confidence and knowledge. And as he heard that, he said, okay, so what is the language you want to use to convey that experience, you know? And so um, I, I really keep empathy and and grace at the heart of what I do and, and work with clients around um, because it is it is foundational to to especially as someone who in my school i was lifting up and surfacing and facilitating conversations about things that had never been had in the way that i was doing it at the time facilitating conversations about the disproportionality and referrals and suspensions that we were seeing that were b- predictable um that over the years, there was a disproportionality that African-American men were getting sent out of schools, African-American young men um, were being sent out of the classroom and sent out for quote-unquote bad behavior. And so I took it upon myself to to start to facilitate conversations about cross-race communication because there was so much with my teachers that was at play for them um, when they would get triggered by a comment or by a gesture or a behavior. So we really had to unpack what was happening and the power of the language that my teachers were using toward their students. And so it started with students to teacher interactions. But then because integrity is such a core value for me, I had to walk my talk. You know, if I was encouraging my teachers to be mindful and intentional with their language, then I wanted to model that and to put myself in some vulnerable positions and saying, I don't have the answer and I'm going to share something that I've never shared with you before. But as a white woman, this is my experience. And that was, um, that was new at the time, but speaking my truth was really important for people to, to begin feeling comfortable getting vulnerable themselves. Right. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my work is all about the, the power of language um, and the um, the fact that, like you said, it can either open up possibilities or shut down any potential for for movement. And and as a coach and as a leader, I I literally saw and still believe that there is a way to build bridges and to stay at the table even when you have folks with different political ideologies or experiences. Um, yeah. So, so language is everything. It architects, it is the architect for the human experience in my mm. opinion. Yes. that beautifully stated. So if you were to be working with a school or in this case, when you were working in your school, did you work with both faculty and administration together or did you work with them separately? Uh, both. It's a both and yeah, mm. together and separately. I'm a, I'm a deep believer in one-on-one conversations. There's a um, a nuance to to catalyzing change and and kind of catalyzing 
self-discovery and learning. And so if I wanted my teachers to start exploring their racial identity, it, I knew it was going to take work, you know, and I also, I do this now with my clients. Um, there has to be an, an investment and an interest in um, doing the learning because I can't just go, as we've seen with our president and with a lot of people, you can't just point your finger and say, you need to change or you need to stop doing that. You know, if you really want people to learn and tr and change their behavior that sustains growth, then you have to be willing to coach and listen and offer ideas, but with a, an intentionality. Mm. And how would you engage students in this process? Mm. It always starts with listening. You know, um, the first step is to listen, to ask, the, ask an intentional question and then listen um, without interrupting and without um, blaming or judging. Because there was what I learned when I really allowed myself to, to take off the positional authority hat and the power hat just to say, what is it like to be you in this office? You get here, you get sent here every single day. What does it feel like to be you? Mm -hmm. And I would yeah. get intense answers. Um, and so really the power of listening can't be underscored enough. Mm -hmm. And how do you communicate this to the rest of the school community? Back then, you know, it's been a handful of years since I worked at the school. I now support, um, I'm a consultant, so I now run my own business and I consult still with the National Equity Project and I still support schools in a number of capacities. So now um, it looks a little bit different, but at the time, how did I, um, the question well, was how did. Well, how, 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 go ahead, answer how you would do it now since it's, that's perhaps more relevant. Yeah. Um, I've learned that there can be things done that are that are um, named as qualitative research studies, you know, thing, people in, in my circle and at my organization and in other circles do something called a listening campaign. Um, there's amazing opportunities to really get textured experiences and textured stories about people's experience when you really... Um, commit to and invest in a different type of research. And so organizations that I've worked with and schools that I've been on, I've said, hey, I'm going to do a listening campaign. I'm going to ask the same question to 15 people and it's anonymous. And at the end, I'll share the results so that we can get a, a clear sense and, and really best understand what's at play when we're diagnosing the quote unquote problem, you know, cause a lot of people come to me saying, I just, they just need to change. You know, we needed to get, we need a better culture or we need a stronger morale. Um, or I, you know, we just need people to be more, um, quote unquote bought in, you know, and, and underneath that, because I'm a, I'm a human potentialist and I'm a believer that people there's, there's, Underneath every frustration is a story, you know, underneath, underneath every display of anger is somebody whose needs aren't being met. And so if you can share that what you heard back with people with a level of consciousness and intentionality, I've seen amazing things result after doing listening campaigns. Mm. Fantastic. All righty. We are speaking with Rachel Rosen from Spark for Humanity and Spark Leadership. We'll be right back after a short break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at regenerate.coach. That's regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Rachel Rosen from Spark for Humanity. We were talking about what it really means to become aware of language and implicit biases and what it, how it is working with schools and communities to raise consciousness around diversity and to foster more inclusion. So, Rachel, I wanted to continue our conversation around bringing this out into the community. And so what would you recommend for communities and or schools to begin surfacing some of these, these implicit biases or... or if there's another word, I'm not sure, cultural consciousness that or unconsciousness that might be existing in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's, um, I mean, there. this conversation would, could go on for hours and hours. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's just so many layers. So again, like what I shared was really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's the first thing um, mm-hmm. before making assumptions about people's experience, you know, back to the SPARC acronym, the pause really is the first step, you know, to pause and really think about how are we diagnosing the, the quote-unquote problem? What are we assigning value to and who has a seat at the table? Um, all of these questions before even listening to people is, is critical because we all have um, unconscious biases. One of my um, colleagues and someone I deeply admire, Zaretta Hammond, who wrote a book um, called Culturally Relevant Pedagogy in the Brain. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal and brilliant educator and, and someone I'm honored to call a friend. Um, but she and I were talking recently and she said, you know, our brains, we can't have these conversations without talking about what's happening in the brain. Um, and her experience as an African-American woman is very different from mine. But she And she says, you know, let's take you and I, for, for example. I'm hardwired um, based on my culture and my experience as a woman in the world with my skin. Um, I'm hardwired differently than you are. And we have um, software and we have hardware in our brain. And the hardware 
is the wiring of the brain. It's the real kind of the neurons and the synapses that are happening in that play. The software is culture, you know, and culture impacts the hardware. And so um, she said, because I am, in my experience, my culture, my, my people, my ancestors and my parents valued collective identity, collectivism versus individualism, I'm always going to be wired to um, have a different type of connection. And the majority of white people are hardwired and softwired because they end up getting intertwined to value individualism because that's part of the the founding of this country. And if you were raised in this country as American and with white skin, there's a very high likelihood that your culture has valued individualism, which gets into a longer conversation. But she, she wants me to always be clear that b- the software impacts our brain and there's a uh, Uh, Now it feels as though implicit bias and unconscious bias is becoming a buzz phrase. And sometimes implicit bias can turn into microaggressions, which are very harmful. And so before I answer your question, I just want to say that there is a real difference between implicit bias, explicit bias, unconscious bias, conscious bias, and then there's straight microaggressions that are actually very close to what some people experience as implicit bias. So I just want to say that that I do a lot of work with my clients now around really getting underneath what it means to have blind spots because we all have them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's part of why the game was created to lift up our differences and why my work is to support people to really, again, get clear on how they're diagnosing what's happening. Um, Because in the absence of having language, we're all doing the best that we can. I'm a deep believer that people in education, people in social impact organizations are doing the best that they can with the tools that they have. And so if I don't have the tools or the skills to use culturally conscious language with awareness, then I'm going to be saying the things that I have the capacity to say, you know, and so having um, support, having a leadership coach, having a community of practice, like a professional learning community where there's trust and respect is a critical ingredient for developing that consciousness and improving kind of the racial identity development um, work, right? And so I'm always going to be a work in progress because I will I feel like I'll always have some sort of coach and some sort of my own <laughs> learning community because I have to stay present to the times that we're in and how I need to be really mindful of all the language that I'm using. Mm. Well, that's a wonderful segue into my next question, which is what resources would you recommend for communities if they want to incorporate more inclusion and more engagement around inclusion in schools and their organizations? What what, what should you look for? Yeah, definitely. So um, for people in the education arena, I still work with National Equity Project regularly and they're a phenomenal organization. I highly recommend them checking out um, the National Equity Project and also Zaretta Hammond's book, Culturally Relevant Teaching in the Brain. Um, Another one I would say for people who are, um, you know, exploring systems of advantage, something we didn't even get to was talking about 
systemic racism and systemic mm-hmm. bias. Um, that is another huge part of the puzzle that I work with clients around. And so for people who haven't read much of John Powell's work around systems of advantage, I highly recommend that. Um, Race Forward has a lot of great resources on um, systemic and individual and institutional racism that have been really helpful. They're um, specifically someone with Race Forward, Jay Smooth. Um, I love his videos. He has some great short video clips that are fantastic. Uh, There's another resource around bias called Cracking the Code, which is fantastic. Um, Let's see. I could go on and on. (laughs) How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a good start. So for parents out there who want to increase their own awareness and start having those conversations with their families, is there... Are there other resources that you would recommend? Yes, absolutely. So I actually put together a list of resources on my webpage just recently after Charlottesville happened. Mm -hmm. And so um, in addition to someone who I get regular updates from, uh, her name is Nani, N-A-N-I, and she's all about parents and families coming together in support of productive conversations with their kids. She's great because she sends text updates and messenger updates. Her, her stuff is very user-friendly and accessible. Um, in addition to that kind of consistent resource that I'm always present to, on my webpage, I think it's the third blog down, there's a resource for parents and educators um, to combat and confront white supremacy. And so there's everything from how do we start conversations with our young people about race to how do we, um, as a family, come together in support of humanity and have hard conversations in a different way, you know. So there must be 15 or or 20 resources and links that I put on that blog. And there's also a blog that I put for anybody who identifies racially as a white person who's listening. Um, a couple more blogs down, there's one um, called, it's about whiteness and what it means to be white and some reflections and resources for people who are um, ready to advance their consciousness around their racial identity with me because I'm on this journey with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a list of at least 15 resources that that go into a little bit more detail. There are a couple books that I offer, but... Um, there's there's the conversation Peggy McIntosh offers about white privilege and unpacking the invisible knapsack of privilege, which is a great starter resource and a lot of people use it. Um, but I think to go beyond that one page and to to explore whiteness with a little more nuance is is a necessity right now. So I've also been facilitating racial affinity groups for people who are specifically wanting to explore whiteness in a way that um, allows them to show up with more consciousness in their diverse communities in service of having more inclusive and more um, depth and meaningful conversations across difference. That's beautiful. So I want to turn the, the conversation just a little bit and ask what sparks inspiration for you? Oh, man, I, so many things, you know, I mean, the first 
the first thing that always comes to my mind is the next generation. I still mentor kids and facilitate workshops with kids um, as much as I can because they give me hope and they inspire me, um, especially, gosh, the little ones. There's so much clarity around what's right and wrong, and um, I'm always inspired with the way that kids innovate and um, are present to to kindness, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and also, I get the luxury and the love of my life. Leah is a dean of a middle school, so I get to see kids because I'll go pick her up from school and stuff like that. And she's also a, a huge inspiration for me because what she does is, um, is something really special. She does uh, restorative justice and facilitates really complex conversations with kids and families about exactly um, what we've been exploring and, and just a different language in a different way. Mm-hmm. And wow. also my, my family. I, I could go on and on about who inspires me, but I'll stop there. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, if you want to share about your family, that's fine. Yeah, no, I just, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I have um, an incredible support a community of support and my mom is an inspiration my dad is um a source of so much joy and wisdom and and my sisters are my best friends so I feel like that fabric that I have had um especially these past few years the older I get the stronger our relationships and our bonds get so I feel Mm -hmm. very fortunate to have such an amazing family super so could you tell people where people can find you, your website, and and follow your story. What social media platforms are you active on? Yeah, definitely. So social media, we have, um, we're pretty active. I have a team of people now, which is um, beyond what I could have ever imagined a year ago, but I have folks um, supporting me. And I have a Facebook page called Spark Leadership. I also have a Facebook group and Facebook page called Spark for Humanity, and that is the number four, so it would be at S-P-A-R-K, and then the number four, Humanity, and we have an Instagram page, we have many Instagram pages, um, Spark, and same thing, Spark in the number four, Humanity, and Spark the number four, Leadership is a new one that we've been really putting more up as I've been offering more and more programs, and, um, and then there's one called love is love dot there is no box um, that was sparked mm. um, after the Orlando tragedy and it's been taking off. And um, then I also have my personal pages, but I'll keep it with the business ones for now. I Super. also have, I have websites too, if that would be helpful to share. Yes, please. Quickly. Okay. Yeah, super quick. Um, And they can also be below on the website, on this website too, but they're just pretty simple. Again, S-P-A-R-K, the number four, humanity.com. And then my personal website that has more on my offerings as a speaker and a facilitator and a coach is my first name, R-A-C-H-E-L, and then V as in Victor, R-O-S-E-N.com, rachelvrosen.com. Super. And you have some upcoming offerings. So yeah, quickly share those. Yeah. So again, I shared earlier that I was at a transition point. So I have um, now more flexibility and opportunity to do more of my own consulting and coaching. So I have a couple programs on the horizon. I have a eight week leadership 
online coaching program that's very unlike anything I've ever seen that starts on September 25th and all of your listeners can get $50 off for signing up within the next five days. Um, I also have a leadership retreat that I'm hosting and for the listeners it'll be very soon but it's on September 16th and that's going to be out in Bolinas, California and then I also have customized workshops and coaching programs for one-on-one support and for workshops on inclusion and um, adaptive leadership. So if anybody's interested in having a customized experience, they're welcome to contact me. Wow. Fantastic. Thank you, Rachel. It's been a pleasure having you here today. We've spoken about Spark for Humanity and Spark for Leadership and the importance of creating safe spaces to cultivate radical openness and effective inclusion strategies at the community, school, and organizational levels. Look for announcements on my voiceamerica.com host page. You will find a recording of today's show, other shows, my social media links, and those of my guests. Thanks again for joining. I'm Thomas Rosenberg, and this is Envision. Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.